Women Up Radio, designed to facilitate women's empowerment, improve your career, develop your talents, incorporate your passions, achieve fulfillment and success. Hello, this is Women Up Radio, supporting Empower Women. Today is the first in our cultural fulfillment and wellness programmes, and we're going to talk about creativity and respect for women and how different cultures approach this and also ways of bringing this into our life, both personal and professional. I'm joined in the studio by my guest, Philip Cargon. Philip's a psychologist, psychotherapist, sophrologist, and druid leader, who, as well as all that, spends a lot of time writing, speaking, and giving workshops. So, welcome to the programme, Philip. Well, hello. It's lovely to have you here today and thank you so much for giving us your time and giving us more information. I know you were slightly surprised when I invited you to be a guest on Women Up Radio, as many people might not see a connection. Druidry doesn't automatically spring to mind when we think of women in the workplace or corporate wellness or women's empowerment. Can you tell us more about Druidry? Because it's such an interesting question and particularly for how it could be relevant to women today. Yes. Well, Druidry is really the, the, the living of and the application of ideas that are Druidic or come from the idea of Druidism or, or the Druids, which at first sight or, or at first hearing sounds very odd indeed because it seems like something that died out thousands of years ago. But actually, once you start to look at what Druidry is, a whole world that is both eccentric and unusual, but also is connected in all sorts of ways with all sorts of issues, including women's issues, empowerment issues, and um, political issues. So, but ba- basically, a quick sort of overview is there were people known as Druids in ancient times, and people will know that from history and from the accounts of Julius Caesar and so on. Yeah. And with the coming of Christianity, they were really integrated. They were the teachers, the poets, the philosophers of Celtic society. With the coming of Christianity, by about the 5th, 6th century in most of Europe, Christianity was the, the predominant religion. And Druidry went underground, and the people, because they were the judges and the philosophers and the poets, etc., they simply hoisted another flag, as it were, yes. as a Christian dispensation. And then about 300 years ago, there was a revival of interest in Druidry. And you had people like William Stukeley, the founding father of archaeology, reviving an interest in it, the Princess of Wales becoming interested in it and being nominated by William Stukeley as his arch-Druidess. Oh, really? um, yes, absolutely. And then, and then what happened is Druidry took sort of several different paths into the modern era. And one of the paths was the cultural one with the National Eisteddfodau in Wales and, and, and they have Eisteddfods in, in um, Brittany as well of uh, really cultural celebrations. And within that kind of Druidry, the Queen is a Druid and you can, you can um, people are often surprised when they hear this, when, yeah. when, uh, when, when they think it's something that's uh, completely out of date and eccentric. I say, well, the Queen doesn't think so. Yeah. Um, if you Google, Google Queen Elizabeth II Druid, And you'll come across a lovely photograph of her being initiated into Druidry in Wales in a ceremony. Yeah, I know. Um, I I saw that. I thought it was wonderful. It's lovely, isn't it? Yes. Well, wasn't um, 
Winston Churchill, wasn't he? Winston also? Churchill was a druid too, um, but he was in another stream. So there was that one through the cultural stream. Mm -hmm. And then there's the frater what you might call the fraternal stream, which was along the lines of sort of Freemasons and Rotarians. If you think to before the welfare state, mm -hmm. uh, people would club together and they would have meetings and they would all pay a sort of weekly or monthly subscription. And then when one of their members became ill or died or their house burnt down or they encountered some problem, there would be a fund that would look after them. So they were the very early friendly societies, as they were called. And so Druidry arose in, in London in the uh, early 18th, well, in the 18th century as, as a friendly society in that way and rapidly spread. So by the time of the, uh, the 1930s, there were over a million Druids spread right the way across the British Empire. And really? Winston Churchill was one of them. And there's that rather wonderful photograph of him looking slightly embarrassed and bemused with lots of people wearing false beards. Uh, <laughs> so they did, you know, they still continue to exist to this day. They raise a lot of money for charity. Yeah. And they use the idea of the Druid as the sort of wise person, the yeah. sage, the philosopher of the forest, as a sort of guiding light, really, and as an inspiration. Yeah, because it seems to me, the, the image I have of Druidry is something that's very aligned with nature, very open-minded, very peaceful, and really being non-judgmental of others, but just trying to support and accept would you say that's right, or am I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no, no. Are you barking up the wrong tree? Uh, which is a very <laughs> druidic symbol. Yes, exactly. Um, no, 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 you're, you're on the, uh, barking up the right tree. The, the, the third kind of druidry is the one that you're talking about, which is druidry as a philosophy, for some a religion, for most a sort of spirituality, a, a world view that is spiritual, if you like, and very nature-based. Mm -hmm. And that's really come into its own in the last sort of 30 or 40 years, really. Well, say 50 years. Yeah. Um, from the sort of 60s onwards, really. And that's where it has become a kind of green religion, you could say. Some people like the idea, the term religion. They like the term religion because it, it works for them. Other people really don't like the idea of religion. It's usually better to talk about it as a spirituality, which has less sort of loaded associations. Yes. But it is, again, it's inspired by the idea of, of being close to the land, of the kind of inspiration and spiritual nourishment and emotional and intellectual nourishment you get from being out in nature. Yes. And, and from treating life as meaningful as opposed to meaningless. Yes, because this is something that I think, well, there's two aspects that I think particularly important. The, the role of women, because from, also from what I understand, the role of women in Druidry is very strong, which obviously is all of my, my radio programme, etc., is all about women's empowerment. So yes. obviously that's of great interest. But so it seems to me that Druidry is very much for the acceptance of women and the equality of women. And so it interests me to know why is Druidry so advanced in that, particularly in the world today? What, what causes that? So that's one thing. Maybe we can start with that. Can let's, start, let's start with that. There's really, the, the Druids were the lawmakers in, in, in Ireland before the coming of Christianity. And St. Patrick 
was so interested in their laws that he got them written down because Druidry was an oral culture in the old days. Yeah. Um, but he was fascinated by the laws. So we actually have what are known as the Brehon laws, which are written down. So we can see what the ancient Druids thought about gender, for instance. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things is, for instance, divorce was allowed. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yes, there were, and there were six conditions. I'll see if I can remember them. Uh, <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, certainly I can remember some of them. One of them was, for instance, if you if you couldn't make love to your husband because his belly was so big. Uh, <laughs> That's a good which one. I think is wonderful. And then, for instance, if he hit you, which in a way that left a mark. Yeah. Now, that's sort of interesting because you could say, well, any kind of hitting is totally out of the question. And, and sure, nowadays, yeah. uh, that would be the case. But it's rather interesting that that was one. If you, if you were hit and, and, and the, a blemish could be seen as a result of it. But it's uh, also interesting that that should be so many years ago because, I mean, St. Patrick was, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So to have that type of modern view on domestic violence I think it's amazing. It is, it is ah. extraordinary, isn't it? And also about sort of sexual satisfaction in, in as much as yeah. if it's... A, and the other one is if your husband prefers to lay with other men, to lie with other men. Oh, really? Yes. Good Lord. And then the other one, what, the other one is if your husband... What's the word? It's not satirises. Cal- um, if, if he lies about you and badmouths you in public. You know, traditional societies, the... To make somebody lose face is a massive insult. Yes. And so if your husband spoke badly of you to others in a way that made you lose face. Yes. So you're starting to build a picture of a really rather interesting social situation. And in addition to that, they had laws about when it was permissible to have a child with somebody else. Really? So for instance, if your if your husband couldn't make you pregnant. Yeah. You could have a child with somebody else, still stay in the marriage, but have a child with somebody else. Really? And because when you look at parenting, that becomes interesting because the whole idea of fostering was part of the way they lived in those days. So, you know, now if a child is fostered, it's only as a means of last resort. Yes. But in those days, fostering was an integral part of the bringing up of children. It was a way that you kept the peace amongst uh, different tribes. And so, so the children would be fostered out. Yes. And according to their rank, if you took a child of an aristocratic family, you would have to teach them, you know, horse riding skills and sword fighting yes. skills and so yeah. on. So, and it was all written down. So parenthood was considered in a different way as well. Yes. So surrogate parenting seems extremely advanced, doesn't it? And then the other thing is that now, and this is where it wasn't all sweetness and light, because as far as I can remember, that men could have multiple wives. Yeah. But I didn't, I don't think that women could have multiple husbands, which would be the fair way. That's not fair, yes. That's not Um, fair. However, what what you said from the the criteria for divorce, um, they all seem to be very much pro the woman and you know protecting the woman and really not the man at all which sounds very advanced it does doesn't it i mean it's a fascinating field to look at the justice system was what's called restorative it was based on restorative justice yeah and restorative justice which you also found in the maori culture in new zealand yeah and uh, there are interesting initiatives i think canada has tried a restorative justice, the various restorative justice 
initiatives around the world. That's based on the idea that if I steal something from you or I physically hurt you, I should make restoration. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't apply in the same way in the kind of justice system that we have at the moment. You know, somebody steals something from you and they get banged up. Yes. You don't get any compensation. I mean, there might be, you know, criminal injuries boards and so on that, that off try to work out. But the, the criminal themselves, the person who is accused, isn't obliged to restore something to you. Yes. So they had a system of restorative justice, which is, is, seems advanced as well. Definitely. Mm. And so with that from many years ago, mm. uh, do you think that stayed very, or does that stay very much in Druidry today? Because Well, okay. I think a lot of people, when they hear about Druidry, they think that it might be a patriarchal or male-dominated system. Yeah. And if they think that, that comes from really what happened in the 18th and 19th centuries, where intellectuals became interested in this old culture and started to attempt to revive aspects of it. And because they were in a patriarchal culture, it was amongst the, uh, the, the males. So you had sort of male lodges, yes. male yes. organi- yes. You know, groups. Like the Freemasons. Yes, like the Freemasons. And, mm-hmm. so you, and then you have photographs from the sort of Victorian era of people at Stonehenge with, with beards, yeah. false or not, um, and, uh, and, and white robes. So the mistaken belief has arisen amongst some people of this stereotype yeah. of the well, there are really two stereotypes that well there's three three things that people tend to think about if you mention druids today one of them is you know bearded men at stonehenge in white robes and <laughs> yes. it's all very male dominated the other is sort of sacrificing virgins on the slaughter stone oh, really? um, yeah yes because julius caesar talked about human sacrifice and that's it's possible that he was engaging in propaganda because he was conquering Britain and therefore he was trying to paint um, them as savages. He suggested that people were killed in huge wicker baskets in the shape of a human form and then they were set alight. doesn't really make sense because if you make a basket out of wicker and put people in it, as soon as you light a fire underneath, the wicker burns very quickly and they jump out and get... Run away. You run away, or yeah. So I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. What actually Caesar says is that Druids officiated at the execution of criminals, and of course, you know, Christian priests officiate at the execution of murderers in the United States to this day. Yes. You know, it's common for a religious person to be present at the execution yes. of a criminal. So, so, so that's not actually that odd. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's an image of a male-dominated sort of druidry, yeah. and then um, the third image that people will have if you mention druids is from the Asterix cartoons, of <laughs> of you know the famous druid who would uh, make a sort of magical potion and elixir. Yeah, um, and those are the three sort of stereotypes. But of course, druidry today is not. I mean, you can you can trace all sorts of connections, but it's something very different, of course. Yeah. Well, another thing which I think is very interesting from druidry, particularly for people who are stressed or you know sort of work in general and life in general is the peacefulness and the the strength of nature which similar to things like buddhism and stuff like that the fact of not being judgmental the fact of bringing more nature and natural things into your life that seems to me a very strong part of druidry which i think i think is something that people could really do do very well to bring into their life and it- absolutely i mean i think if i can just say something before that to sort of set yeah. that to talk about that is 
particularly, you know, because your radio program goes out to people in the sort of corporate sphere and yes. people who will have no, uh, no knowledge uh, of Druidry and, and so on. Yes. Uh, if I can just say to preface our talking about the relaxation, one's initial response, I think, and quite naturally is, gosh, that, that sounds a bit weird. Yeah. And why would I want to be interested in any way in anything so eccentric mm-hmm. as, as Druidry? But I think what, if we look around at what's happening in the world, so much has changed now. So much in the so-called conventional world is completely bonkers. Yeah. If we look at what's happening in the political arena, <sighs> every day you look on the news, it's completely nutty. And, they're, and so, so, they're so negative. Yes, it's so negative and it's sort of mad, you know, I mean, particularly the current sort of political climate and the wars and the, and the, the, the terrorism, you know, what's happening with the move to the right and so on. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a, a sort of, the, we're in a film with a bad script. The script yeah. writer's gone mad and we're sort of extras. We're against our will. We're having to be extras in a movie that we don't want to be in. Yes. So I think that sort of conventional, I think in the past, I mean, when I was younger, you would have sort of two worlds, really. You would have what you might call the conventional world mm. of, you know, where men would dress in suits, would, would work in, you know, big shiny office blocks, uh, running huge corporations and selling, you know, ice cream or plastic cups around the world and so on and flying <laughs> to important meetings to talk about the ice cream and the plastic cups. Yeah. And, and then more women would come into that. And, and then there would be the politicians wearing suits and, and the women wearing suits as well, yeah. being serious and responsible mm-hmm. and authoritative and parental. And, and then you'd have the artists, the creatives, the wacky people, yeah. uh, people who could grow their hair long, who didn't have to wear suits. And they might be indulged in by the corporate world. They might be employed to come up with you know, creative ideas or they can get jobs in advertising agencies or, you know, make music or whatever. And they would, but they'd be kind of pushed to the edge. They'd be on the margins. Yeah. And the same would apply to people involved in what you might call alternative spirituality. You know, it might be okay to go to church on Sundays and uh, to go through the motions and all the rest of it. But anybody doing anything different, anybody meditating under a tree would be doing something very odd indeed. Yeah. And, and now, fast forward to today, you know, 30, 40 years later, and it's not at all like that. Yes. When you're in a meeting, as you know probably from the corporate, when you're in a meeting and somebody walks in with long hair or not wearing a suit or talks about meditation or talks about mindfulness, yes. it's all part of, you know, we're up for all of that yeah. because we know that the human being, I mean, all the studies in psychology and neuroscience and all that shows that we're much more complex beings and that, that actually to to be happy and to be creative and fulfilled, we need to be more open. And thankfully that's happened. So that's how I sort of place Druidry. And and then to look at your question about relaxation and peacefulness. I think one of the things that we really, if you look at what we need and want as human beings, you know, we want to, of course, be effective in the world and we want to be able to you know, make enough money to you know, lead a, a comfortable life and so on, and uh, and to have a career if we if we if we want a career. Yeah. But we also want to actually be happy. We want to feel fulfilled. We don't want to be stressed. Yeah. Um, we don't want to have a sort of sense of meaninglessness yeah. creeping up on us. Yeah. Which it's so easy if you adopt a sort of materialist worldview and you just have your input coming from the television news and current affairs and the newspapers and so on. 
very it's very easy to become depressed but what i think what druidry does as as spirituality does in general is it introduces us to the idea that there's more than meets the eye yeah. that there are actually sources of support that we can turn to and that actually druid druidry's speciality is the world of nature Yes. And that actually, you know, the seasons, just the turning of the seasons can be a tremendous source of nourishment and, yes. and connecting with the elements of earth, air, fire and water and the trees and so on. It, it changes the way we relate to the world yeah. uh, and brings us the sort of energy that is that is depicted in the Asterix uh, cartoons of the Druid with the elixir. It's just that the elixir isn't an actual physical substance that we drink. <laughs> it's, it's something sort of subtler. Yes. <laughs> well, I know with, with my clients, um, I have a lot of clients who are incredibly stressed. Mm. Um, and from some of the things that I've read um, from Druidry, which I find very interesting. Also, I have a strong attachment with nature. I always have done because I grew up in the country and, you know, with animals and trees. So for me, being among nature is the the best way of re-energizing myself. So I've tried to bring simple ideas into my clients, in my coaching. Obviously, in my previous corporate life, it was a bit different. But now coaching corporate people and mentoring, even such simple things as putting a plant on your desk, you know, and having something green around you so that when you feel stressed you can look at the plant and try and visualize yourself somewhere else and another thing walking meetings because the idea of actually going out and walking in the local park to have your meeting rather than sitting around a conference room table just being static and stressed all day that's something that I think is very very beneficial to everybody And to me, that has a strong link with the values of Druidry. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that you can suggest and and talk about. But I think it's that element of peace which comes with, I don't know, Druidic values, would you call it that? Um, Sure, sure. I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, you're walking seminars, for instance, at the local university, the Sussex University. They they work with a concept called walk-in hours. Oh. where they, they do seminar walking seminars oh, and they, they will split a topic up if they have a group of people that need to discuss particle physics or something they will break the subject up and they will they'll choose a walk you know out in the downs here yeah. to sort of four different points in the landscape where you know you can sit on the ground or there's a lovely panorama or whatever and discuss the topic then you know in com- in combination with walking yeah and of course in druidry the a key symbol is the idea of the sacred grove, yeah. the idea of a, a clearing in the forest yeah. where you go to commune with nature and to learn. And so yeah. Druids would teach in these sacred groves. Yeah. And this is a tradition, actually, that you find in the Middle East, the Far East, and as far away as India, the idea of a sacred grove, a special magical clearing in the forest. Yeah. You know, even if you can't actually be out in nature it's amazing what a difference it makes for instance if i'm giving a talk i've given talks in all sorts of strange places like sort of neon lit rooms at airports uh, <laughs> you know um, and it's strange places like that if rather than just pitching straight into the in, into my talk i'll say to people just imagine for a moment you're sitting in a sacred grove and you can 
feel the earth beneath your feet and you can smell the earth and you look around and you see trees all around you. You sense their, their peace and their protection. And then you look above and you see the bright sky. And, and then imagine we're all sitting together in this clearing. And then I give a talk. So I've just yeah. essentially painted a little picture for a couple of minutes. Yeah. But it makes a difference. You are connecting to yeah. nature in that way. And what a wonderful image for meditation. Mm, absolutely. To go to your, or for de-stressing, if you're having a, a really bad day. And even if you go and lock yourself in the, 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 the loo, Yes. And do your two or three minutes of imagining that you're in your sacred grove to really reduce all of the, the stress. Well, this is where neuroscience meets the ancient wisdom traditions, yeah. I think. This is, this is, you know, because neuroscience tells us that, that our nervous systems can't distinguish between what is real and what is fantasy. This is why in post-traumatic stress disorder, if yeah. somebody has, say, been in a war situation, when they have an attack of PTSD, yeah. their body reacts as if they're being you know, shot at again, okay. um, even though they will know with their mind. And you can say, it's okay, you're here in bed with me now. It's okay, you know, when a soldier wakes up screaming or something. Yeah. But their nervous system is replaying the movie and the body is reacting as if it's real. Well, you can take that principle and use it in a positive way by training yourself by if you imagine sitting under a tree or sitting in a sacred grove, for instance. I mean, this is what we do. The sort of first step in Druid training, really, is yeah. we train people to imagine their own sacred grove, their own special magical clearing in the forest that they build up in their imagination and they go to to relax. And the more you do that, the more your body will actually react in the same way as if you actually went for a walk into the woods and lay in a beautiful little clearing lovely that's so helpful yeah and so what other things do you think would adapt well from druidry to well the business world or and for yeah. women as well for for women trying to feel better in the workplace or have more respect and self-respect yes yes now these are interesting questions so so let's just look at i think the, the the issue about gender you know the more i look at it the more i think that on the one hand it's terribly important to consider gender differences and you know the tremendous inequalities that women have to uh, surmount mm -hmm. uh, you know in the workplace and so on but i think the principles apply to whatever gender you are yes so so it's not as if there's a gender specific technique if you see what i mean that would, yeah. it would apply to whatever gender you were a number of ideas occur to me one is the question that we were talking about respect well we've talked about trees but of course animals are an integral part of nature as well yes druidry if you like has bodies of law and that's l-o-r-e yeah. so there's stone law which is a whole body of teachings and ideas and stories about stones and stone circles and sacred stones and crystals and so on and then there's plant law all about the the properties of plants and so on then there's tree law and star law and animal law yeah and so with the animal law so for instance in a in a book that stephanie and i worked on which is a sort of oracle card set uh, we look at the animals that are sacred in the druid tradition and then we look at the old stories attached to it in folklore. And then we apply the sort of insights or the lens of modern psychology 
and yeah. say, well, what's it saying to us today? So, for instance, if you look at, say, if you look at respect, if you, th- if you look at the stag as a creature, as an animal, you know, with its antlers, yes. there are all sorts of ways in which in the old stories it's uh, associated with ideas of independence and pride and dignity. Yeah. You know, there's a tremendous, if you imagine now looking at a stag with its great antlers, there's a tremendous sense of sort of pride and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with one of those if you yeah. found yourself face to face with it it's proud it's dignified it's strong independent and now how can you use this in an everyday work situation imagine you're sitting opposite a man who is putting you down or you generally dislike because of the way they treat you or whatever mm. and you just imagine that you're a stag when i do it i can sort of automatically feel my neck sort of moving up I sort of yeah. I stand I sit taller exactly I had that exact reaction when you said it <laughs> yes I remember being in some um, minor court case and, and one of the things I hadn't appreciated about when you're in a court case is that you have to you as the victim have to sit with the the perpetrator in the same uh, waiting room um, okay. I suppose they separate you if it's something really serious this was some very trivial issue uh, but I found myself sitting in the waiting room with the person who I was against, as it were, in the in the in the trial, yeah. which I found incredibly embarrassing. And I did this exercise. I just closed my eyes and I imagined I was a stag, so that I felt invulnerable. I felt proud and strong, rather than feeling like a mouse, which is yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah you know, uh, uh, how I sort of felt inside, really. Yeah. And so it helped me. It's very interesting because I, my training as a coach is, in fact, NLP training. Right. We use a lot of identity and visualization and imagining yourself in a certain position or a certain role. Mm. Um, and that, your example with the stag, and I'm sure there's many other animals that would also be excellent examples. Yeah. Um, that really links a lot with things in NLP that are very beneficial for feeling better, feeling stronger, feeling more positive. You take on the, the identity or the character of something that you like that reinforces your, your strengths or helps resolve problems with weaknesses. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. So with you, I'm, I'm, completely going off on another tangent as yeah. I always do um, with you being a psychologist and psychotherapist as well yeah and with being a druid hmm. do you find that there's a lot of links between the sort of traditional feeling and values of druids that match in strongly with psychology and psychotherapy absolutely if you imagine if you imagine drawing a circle which is psychology Mm -hmm. and then draw another circle which is druidry or even wider than that you call it something like you know spirituality or the ancient wisdom traditions or whatever you want to call it and then just nudge those two circles together you get an area of overlap yeah it actually creates an image called the vesica pisces yeah in the the center but in the, the, the shape of the overlap and that's the area that fascinates me, is in that Vesica Pisces. It's where you take insights, knowledge, understanding of psychology and neuroscience, and you see how that illuminates and interacts with ancient wisdom traditions, and for me, in particular, Druidry. 
it's a very potent combination. And I, you know, I was, I've just come back from a, a Druid retreat that we were doing in, in Somerset and five days with 27 of us all together. And we were in a beautiful sort of natural setting, beautiful gardens, yeah. lots of meditation and, and sharing and, and so on. And, and looking back on it afterwards, I was thinking, how could you do that without the Druidry? If you took the Druidry out, could you run it as a, you know, self-development week and the answer is you'd lose something huge. What Druidry does, it because it's very left field, because you know, defining it is difficult, because it's got a wonderful history of eccentricity and creativity and all the rest of it, and, and, the, and because the arts feature so strongly in it, because it's not rational. I mean, it's not, it's not just functional and rational. It has an irrational component, a trans-rational component. That allows depths of the psyche to, to manifest, which wouldn't come in if you weren't using that. Likewise, for me, I wouldn't want to run it without the psychology, because mm-hmm. I think psychology, you know, is is hugely beneficial. There, there's so many insights we've had into the human being and how we can develop our potential and so on. That that, the, that, that it would be madness for me to to leave that out. Yes. Two together are really potent. I think it sounds absolutely fascinating. Another approach that might be interesting for listeners is how Druidry can impact on their ability to be creative, because that's a huge strand in Druidry. Mm-hmm. You use this idea, which is you know depicted as the, the cauldron, it's the magical elixir. Yeah. And what it is, is in Druidry, we actually think of creativity as a kind of elixir. We call it Arwen, A-W-E-N, which is a Welsh word, which means inspirational, the blessings of the gods. And I think if you think about times when you're feeling particularly creative, psychologists talk about being in the flow, yes. uh, in a flow state. It's when you can sometimes, or I, I can, and I know lots of other people do talk about this as well, you literally feel it as a flow. For me, my creativity is expressed in talking and writing. Yeah. And sometimes when I'm writing, for instance, or speaking, I feel a sort of current flowing through my body Yes. Uh, usually it comes top down, so it comes from above my head and it sort of flows down and through my hand onto the computer's the keyboard. And there's a part of me that can look at, can observe it and, and say, oh, I didn't know I knew that as I'm typing it or as I'm giving a talk. Yeah. I'll be saying something and I'll, another part of me will be saying, gosh, uh, you know, you, you said that well. I didn't know that you knew that. Uh, <laughs> and, and, the, and, and it all revolves around the question of where you think creativity comes from. And this is absolutely central. The wonderful potter, Grayson Perry, you know, he's on television a lot now, and he's a wonderful guy. He once said, you've got to be still to let the little furry animals come out of their forest hiding, to come into the forest clearing. Yes. And now, now and that was a lovely image for me because, of course, you know, the sacred grove is a yeah. strong image for yeah. us. So you've got to be still. In other words, you've got to learn how to calm yourself and how to just be open to let the furry animals, i.e. the inspiration, the creative ideas, to come into the forest clearing, i.e. to come into your awareness. Yes. So, so that's a nice image. Yeah. But then, then you have to ask yourself, where are these furry animals coming from? Now, if you're a materialist, reductionist, rationalist that believes that essentially life is meaningless, but where you know it's come about randomly or through the process of evolution, but we're here, but there's no deeper meaning to anything, yeah. and that our consciousness is restricted to it's just the electrical activity 
of our brain. It's what's called an epiphenomenon of brain activity. Then creativity is totally dependent on everything that you've seen and heard beforehand. It all, you, you, you hear stuff, you listen to stuff. It all goes into the sort of melting pot of your unconscious, gets combined and recombined, and then comes out as a creative idea. And that's a view that lots of people will hold. Mm-hmm. But Carl Jung, the psychologist, came up with this really interesting idea of the collective unconscious. Yeah. And he said, okay, you've got a personal unconscious, sure. But beyond the personal unconscious is a collective unconscious. And he got to that conclusion by getting psychiatric patients to draw. And he noticed that a lot of them were drawing mandalas, which are these sacred symbols that you find in the Far East. And that they were reproducing sort of archetypal imagery that is found all over the world that they themselves had no knowledge of. So he was saying, well, where are they coming from? And then he suggested the collective unconscious. So so he posited that we as individuals are sort of embedded in a wider field of consciousness, which he called the collective. Yeah. And then you can take one step further, if you like, and say, well, maybe the collective is actually the divine. You know, that the collective human unconscious is itself embedded within, you know, one way of saying it would be, the mind of God, yeah. or embedded within uh, divine awareness, or yeah. uh, the mind of the goddess, or yeah. the cosmic field, or whatever it is. But it's intelligent and it's aware. And it's now, if you believe that, then it becomes very interesting because then, if you become still in the forest, those little furry animals may be scuttling in from your own personal unconscious, but they could be scuttling in from the collective, the human collective. Yeah or maybe even scuttling in from further afield, from the divine. And in Druidry, the divine is, this is symbolized by an image of the mother goddess, of the the cauldron of the goddess. The idea is there are drops of inspiration, and the goddess sort of has this cauldron. And the cauldron is a very powerful female symbol that manages to combine the symbolism of the breast with the womb. The cauldron feeds people so there's a there's a constant sort of soup in it is it feeds people in all the old stories the cauldron of plenty so it's the breast in that but it's also the womb warriors who died would be regenerated by being dunked in the cauldron and so on and it symbolizes the womb it's the classic female symbol which is the the grail chalice the cup and out of that come the drops of arwen which is so they're the drops of the muse and and of course the idea of creativity being female is an empowering idea for women, I think. Yeah. And it's not about, you know, I think, it's not about deciding whether it's true or not, because, we, you, know, we, you know, what does it mean to say whether it's true or not? We don't know, but it's a, it's a powerful image, this idea of, you know, babies are born uh, through the body of a woman. Creativity yeah. comes from this female principle, which the Greeks talked about as the muse, yeah. which Druids talk about as Arwen coming from the cauldron of the goddess. So I think for women, that's an empowering thought. Definitely. That's something that really inspires you to, to let yourself open up to the mm. possibilities of what's around you. Mm. But I didn't know that. And really, in a way, Druid training, you know, the kind of sort of training that we do with our, our sort of training courses and all the rest of it is all about helping people open up to that deeper level to receive the the elixir the magical elixir the three drops the 
little furry creatures, however you want to describe this, <laughs> this, this funny process of becoming more creative and empowered. No, that's a very nice image for women to really let their creativity flow and to open their minds, not feel restricted. Yeah. So, okay, Philip, can I ask you, is there anything that you, any tips, any advice, anything like that, sort of linked to Druidry, but also that's transposable into the corporate world and the business world, that people could start to think about that would help them just in feeling better or feeling more successful or having a, a better um, inspiration at work? Is there anything that you'd advise, whether it's you know, meditation to exercise to very druid values? What would you think is a good way for people to start bringing some of the aspects of druidry into their life? Sure. If we think about what holds us back from being completely who we are, doing what, we're, what we feel deep down we're meant to do, being as creative and as fulfilled as possible is essentially fear. Fear that we might make a fool of ourselves, fear that we'll fail, fear you know, that we're barking up the wrong tree, yeah. uh, whatever it is. It's basically a concern. It's a concern and it's a fear. And somehow we have to get over that fear. Yes. And I think you know that idea that I talked about at the beginning of the interview about how don't worry about being apparently nutty because the world is nutty already. I mean, just, just, just look at the you know, news. Yeah. Uh, it's bonkers anyway, but there's good nutty and bad nutty, if you see what I mean. <laughs> yeah. and so there's nothing to worry about, about eccentricity. I mean, years back, you know, again, 40 years ago, somebody would worry about, say, talking about meditation in a, in a corporate setting. They would say, yeah. well, I better not tell my colleagues that I'm meditating because they'll think I'm mad or yeah. I've joined a cult. And, yeah. of course, now meditation and mindfulness is very run-of-the-mill acceptable stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing to do is to just let go of worrying about, about what you're going to be doing and try, even if you don't believe it, try believing for a while. Say, say for the next three months... I'm going to believe that the world is a magical place and that there is a deeper meaning to life and that it speaks to me through the natural world, through the trees and the plants and the sky and the seasonal rhythms and so on. And I'm just, and that it actually feeds me as well and that I can open to that either in my imagination as I drift off to sleep or by actually taking time out in nature to reconnect with, with the elements. I'm going to allow it to feed me and see where that takes me. See, and then review it in three months' time and say, yeah. well, taking, adopting this position, how do I feel? How has that yeah. benefited me? Yeah. And also seeing one's role and one's creativity as being connected in this deep way to a higher meaning and a higher purpose, you know. And I think there's a lovely quotation which comes actually from Buddhism. It comes from the Dzogchen Tantra, which I just love. And, I, and it evokes for me images of the natural world and of breaking free from fear, which encapsulates what I've been talking about. And it goes like this, as a bee seeks nectar from all kinds of flowers, seek teachings everywhere like a deer that finds a quiet place to graze, seeks seclusion to 
to digest all that you have gathered. Like a mad one, beyond all limits, go where you please and live like a lion, completely free of all fear. I think that's so wonderful. Is that wonderful? It, it evokes wonderful. all these ideas. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what a wonderful note to finish on. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Philip, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and it's been fascinating to hear so much about Druidry and how we can benefit from Druidry in our normal life. A pleasure. It's been a pleasure. We'd like to thank our guest, Philip Cargom, Druid leader, author, therapist and speaker, for sharing his vision on women in different cultures and ways of increasing your creativity and respect in our day-to-day world, both professional and personal. I'm Anna Letitia Cook. You've been listening to us at Women Up Radio. Thanks also to Meryl Guzel and Laura Martinez of UN Women's Empower Women for the wonderful work they do to advance the case for women's equality today. A big thank you to all of you, the listeners. I really hope you've enjoyed hearing Philip today and I hope that some of his advice at the end you can really action to give you more inspiration and more peace of mind which is so important to everyone. Anyway do please send in any questions or feedback to us. You can find our social media and contact details through our website which is womenupradio.com. Women Up Radio, designed to facilitate women's empowerment, improve your career, develop your talents, incorporate your passions, achieve fulfillment and success. 